Well, uh, if you're not aware, though, some of you may know that for better or for worse, last, last Sunday, I put it out there um, that today, this morning, uh, we would take some time and unpack some of the issues concerning Israel that uh, have been unfolding in front of us. Um, if you didn't know that, you're like, oh, how do I get out of here? Um, <laughs> and some of you came specifically for that reason. Um, but uh, we're going we're gonna to try to work through some of that this morning. Uh, personally, um, I would describe the way that I've been processing things as just kind of unsettled. Uh, just this, this unsettledness about these, these things that have just been going on in our world, one thing after another. Maybe you feel that way. I think I've heard from people, like, it just seems like one thing after another. It started way back in COVID, and then it's just like we can't catch our breath. You know, it just keeps on coming. There's no time to recuperate. And uh, in many ways, it, it feels like, like the world's like tilted off its axis and everything and everyone has gone completely out of their minds. Um, of course, that's not true, right? Uh, I personally have to keep on reminding myself that uh, this planet has been a messed up place for a very long time. Uh, It didn't start in 2020. It started on the far side of the Garden of Eden. And I also have to remind myself that God is still sovereign, right? That means uh, that nothing that's happening right now or at any course, any time in the course of history has taken him by surprise. Like, I didn't see that coming, right? God never says that. Now, that doesn't mean that he intends, like the atrocities that we've seen, that the Hamas terrorists have committed, he doesn't intend that. But what it means is that there is no evil deed that is done on this planet that is going to keep or obstruct his redeeming work from running its course and accomplishing its purposes. So that means that Romans 8.28 continues to apply, that he is working all things for the good of those who love him. Right and, and Philippians 2, 10 and 11 also still apply that he is moving. History is moving towards that moment when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what it's leading to, but we're not there yet. And so for today... Uh, we are stuck in this broken down world and we wrestle how to navigate it, how to work through things. And, and so that's kind of the question I've been wrestling with is how do we navigate these things? Um, in times like these, I pray for myself for discernment. Lord, give me wisdom. And particularly because, again, it seems like our society is being pulled and polarized. Uh, have you felt that? Um, this pressure that you have to pick a side and go to your corner, right? And there's two landing pads available when it comes to what's going on in the Middle East. Either you land here or you land there. You're either pro-Israel or you're pro-Palestine. There's no room for nuance. There's no room for learning. There's no room for, for questions. It's just double down, dig in, and then demonize anyone who disagrees with you. This is where we're at as a world. And um, 
And so I guess what I have to start out by saying is that I hope that is not what you came here this morning expecting. Um, the Word of God, it's, it's not a butter knife, okay? Uh, we don't use the Bible to spread marmalade jelly on top of our own pre-established preferences. Um, Hebrew 4.12, it says the, it's a sword, it's sharp, it's powerful, it cuts to the deepest part of our lives. And, and so as we dig in, I'll just ask that, um, are you okay with that? Right? Because some of what you hear me say will probably not align with your take. And, and all I ask is that you stay with me to the end, hear me out, and if something I say happens to offend you, then no problem. I am happy to apologize. If something that's in this book, that's in God's word, if that offends you, then you're probably not going to apologize because I think that's the point. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's the reason we got up and came here this morning. Um, so just a little bit more about how I'm processing things. I'm, I'm wrestling with how do you respond, how do we respond in a way that isn't just hijacked by the political agendas or, or groomed by the cable network news feeds, right? Because uh, I don't know if you figured it out, but both of them have vested interests in keeping things polarized, you know that, I hope, right? The, the political parties, both of them, understand that outrage can lead to party loyalty. And party loyalty means that more people show up at the polls on November. That's what they want. And the cable news networks, they understand that outrage means you're going to stay tuned longer. And if you stay tuned longer and you watch more TV, their advertising fees go way up. So they're going to keep on doing that. One of the ways they do it is by pouring onto our pride. All right, so this is, I find it fascinating. How, how many people overnight turn into foreign policy experts, <laughs> right? International diplomacy experts, military strategy experts. And sometimes I kind of want to say, like, I don't know how you got overlooked for a cabinet position, <laughs> right? Somebody ought to get the president on the phone and tell him that you're available because you obviously, you've got the whole thing figured out. How'd you get so smart? YouTube, cable network news, and the book of Revelation, right? That's, that's usually what I get. What more could you possibly need? <laughs> that's a joke. Um, <clears throat> but, but what's not a joke is that in the wake of confusion and chaos, we all feel something inside of us that, that we want to see order restored, right? We want to know the world hasn't tilted off its access, and we want clarity to be brought onto complicated issues. And here's the thing, political ideology and cable network news commentators, they are at the ready to step in and do that for you. And so what I want to encourage you and challenge you is don't do it. Don't let them. Because what happens in the process is you end up subscribing to ideologies that are patently non-Christian. Um, some of them are and go down really good, but then you find yourself outside of the boundary lines. So let me share just a couple that I've come across in my own encounters over the past couple of weeks. Um, 
One thing I've heard is this phrase repeated time and time again. These people are pure evil. Have you heard that? Like, I think I've heard that probably repeated a hundred times over the past couple of weeks. And, um, you know, deeds that people do are evil. But here's the question to wrestle with. Are people created in the image of God? Is it accurately to describe a person as pure evil? Like, like in a different class of evil from the evil that lies latent in every human heart? Or, or is, is that just a dehumanization tactic? I'm going to leave, I'm not answering the question, I'm asking the question. Wrestle with that one. I've got one more. And uh, this is what I've heard is, is uh, whatever Israel chooses to do in response they have the right to do. And whatever civilian casualties there end up being, all of that is on Hamas. Again, I've heard this so many times over the past two weeks, and I'm just like, are you sure you want to subscribe to that statement? Like, that if the response ends up turning into a genocide, that there is absolutely zero culpability, no accountability at all, so what I'm getting at is that I, I hope as Christ followers that we're able to just embrace the both and in a world that wants us to be either or, okay? I think, I think Christ followers more than anyone have the capacity to do that. Um, so we can say, yes, Israel was brutally attacked, unjustly attacked, and, and yes, they have the full right of the responsibility to defend themselves, to, to respond, to, 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 to defend their existence, to root out the enemy, but they're also responsible to, to do it in a just way, right? to not just commit crimes against humanity in an effort to eradicate crimes committed against humanity, because that just doesn't make sense, right? So... So this is how I'm wrestling with it, and what I'm seeing is that if our, if our loyalties lie to the Lord and not to some polarized just party line, then we're able to embrace the both and and not fall for the either ors. So I think what's been going on there is a longstanding conflict, and um, don't have to tell you it's a complicated one. Right? I, I love it if it were just black and white. This is why it's happened. They're right. They're wrong. Let's move on. But there's layers to this thing. And there's layers that just need to get unpacked. And, and I don't know all the layers. I'm, I'm actually trying as best as I can to lean in and, and peel some of them back as best as I can. Um, but it's not easy. So, so I have a few Facebook friends, not many, but a few Facebook friends who are Palestine Christians in Palestine. Um, some of them have actually been in their house when their house got bulldozed. Um, family members were injured, seriously injured. And I got to tell you, they responded on the day of the attack, posted something on Facebook, and what they posted was not what I expected. And, and I'll be honest with you, what they posted made me angry. Like, I got, I got angry. Um, and and I, 
I kind of wanted to hit that unfriend button immediately because, like, I just didn't want to hear anything. But a day or two went by, and I went back to it, and I, I chose to listen to a couple of podcasts that they posted. And, and I'm happy to share them with you if you're interested. Let me know. But um, at the end, I'll tell you, I didn't, I didn't completely agree with what they said. But I'll tell you what else. I did understand a lot more than I did beforehand. And I, I think the point is that if we're living in a fallen world, which we are, clarity is a quest. And this is a dense, complicated issue. And we don't do well to shortcut the process. Um, so that's the broad overview. I want to get to a very particular point. One of the layers that, that needs to be unpacked is the issue of Israel. Uh, That's the one that I want to look at this morning. If you have a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 11. So Israel has an interesting uh, connection and an interesting sort of lightning rod response it gets from Christians, particularly evangelical Christians. And, And it's a polarized response, too. For some people, the response is carte blanche approval, right? These are God's chosen people, and that means whatever it is that Israel does, they're right. No questions asked. Except in order to maintain that kind of stance, you have to have not read the Old Testament. (laughs) Because if you have even a little bit, you know that that is not the tactic that God took with his chosen people. Um, But there's another response, which is to uh, just just dismiss Israel. Uh, Like some say that, you know, yeah, Israel served a purpose up to a particular point, but that was Old Covenant. That was Old Testament. Now we're in the New Covenant. We're in the New Testament, and Israel just doesn't matter anymore. So it's sort of like they're the used-up stage on a rocket ship, right? We're we're now in the Jesus stage. He's taken us where we're going, and, and that means that the Israel part has detached, It's now lying somewhere at the bottom of the ocean floor, and they're just no longer relevant. Um, That was was the viewpoint of those that Paul is writing to in this book called Romans. And it's a letter, actually. And they thought, they assumed that Israel was yesterday's news. And so Paul writes this to assure them that their story may be complicated, but it's not over. It's still going. And so we are going to look through Romans chapter 11. It is one of the densest chapters in the entire Bible. So aren't you glad you came this morning? (laughs) But I want to tell you, before we get too deep into it, what I want you to leave with. And I don't want you to leave with like, you know, this country's doing that. Now we've got to watch for that country doing this. I don't want you to leave with time frames and, and threats and conquests or any of that. I simply want you to have confidence. Confidence that God has a plan in place for his chosen people, for all of his people, including you, including me, and to have confidence that his plan, it's working its way out in human history right now. And nothing in this world and no one is going to stop this plan That's what I want you to leave with. So let's read 
about this complicated but continuing story of Israel. If you like soap operas, you're going to love this story about Israel. So here's how it starts. He says, but if some of... I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page here. Okay. Uh, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept, myself, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at this present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Okay, so he starts by asking the question that he's going to go on and answer. Since, since God, through his son Jesus, is now at work in the lives of all kinds of people, does that mean that he's rejected his chosen people? And the answer is direct and clear. It's a hard no. And, and it also clarifies what he's talking about, that by God's people, he says he's talking about a particular ethnicity, called Israel, the, the ones who were descended from the bloodline of Abraham. Sometimes they're called Jews. And just to uh, clarify, Jesus was Jewish. Jesus' first disciples and followers were Jewish. Paul was Jewish. The first church that was birthed at Pentecost, that happened in Jerusalem, and, and they were Jews. They're the ones who trusted in Jesus as Messiah, and then as the church grew, uh, they went out, they preached the gospel, and it came to largely consist of non-Jews. The, the Bible's term for non-Jews is Gentiles. You're going to hear that term a few times this morning. That's what it means. You're either a Jew or a Gentile. And the Gentiles, by and large, received Jesus. They responded to the gospel message, while the Jews, by and large, rejected Jesus. They did not respond to the gospel message. So the believers in Rome, who are Gentiles, they're asking is it game over for Israel? And so Paul is framing his response and his answer. He frames it in terms of a remnant. Uh, right now, he says, only a remnant of Israel has received, is receiving Jesus as Messiah. The majority haven't. They've rejected him. And what he gets at is that that's nothing new. It's kind of the way it's always been. Uh, way back in Elijah's time, he uses as an example, most of the Israelites, they rejected the Lord, just like they were doing now. They were wrapped up in worshiping the idol of Baal, and, and Elijah, actually, he actually thought he was the last living faithful Jew on the face of the planet. But God says, sorry, you're not. There's a remnant. There's 7,000 the Lord has set aside for himself. He confirms and so Paul makes the point that that remnant uh, of faithful Israel within faithless Israel, that, that that continues even to today. Verse 5, that so too at the present time there is a remnant. It's those who have received Jesus as Messiah. Some of you here this morning are a part of that remnant. You, are, you consider yourself a completed Jew. You've trusted in Jesus as Messiah. And Paul clarifies that just, just like the Gentiles, this remnant, they haven't been selected by God because they're better or because they've done anything to deserve it or because they've, they've kept the Torah 
better than the others? He says, they are saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Same way as the Gentiles, same way as everybody else. The same plan of salvation applies to one and all. Uh, Paul articulated it one chapter earlier in chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's, That's the plan for one and all. And it applies to that remnant minority. That's what they've done. Uh, they've trusted in Jesus. And so that kind of answers the question for the remnant, for the minority. But then the question is, well, what about the rest of them, the majority who have rejected him? Is it game over for them? So we got to keep on reading and see where it goes from there. He says this, he says, what then? Israel failed to abstain, to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Okay, so what that is getting at is is that the majority of God's chosen people became calloused towards Christ. Hardened hearts. It's it's kind of a repeat of what happened when, when, when Moses went to Pharaoh, said, let my people go. And Moses said, no, he hardened his heart. And then God follow, followed up and hardened Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's heart. The result is the same. It's a heart that's rock solid, that just will not crack open. And so what he's saying is there's this haze that, that keeps the truth about Jesus, about the gospel from, from penetrating and getting through. And, and just to clarify, it's not just something that pertains to the Israelites, right, to the Jews. Paul's already said in this book earlier that it applies to the Gentiles as well. Uh, but the state of spiritual stupor, of just not being able to get Jesus, it's a, it's a real thing. Right? It's, it's an inability to just comprehend Jesus as the Christ. And no amount of reason, no amount of convincing is able to resolve it. And so maybe you've tried, maybe you've like tried to open up the Bible and point out the Old Testament prophecies, turn to Isaiah 53. It so clearly showcases Jesus, the suffering servant, Right? And you're like, look, it's right there. And the response you get is just, sorry, I just don't see it. I just don't get it. Uh, Many Jews that I know today, they describe themselves as secular Jews, right? They are are self-proclaimed atheists. They don't even believe in God. They just hold on to Judaism for the traditions as a way of just holding on to, uh, to a cultural identity. And so... That, it says, describes the current condition of the majority of God's chosen people, Israel. And so if having heard that, then you might come to the conclusion, yeah, it really does sound like it's game over for them. That is the end of their story. No. Actually, there's more. Um, that's exactly what this passage was written to keep us from reaching that conclusion. This, there's, there's an end of a chapter, but... The end of the chapter is not the end of the story. There's more chapters to be written, and let's read about what's what's to come. 
It says this, so I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? I'm going to skip ahead just a few verses. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So, so what this is getting at, and you got to, I know, so you got to stay engaged with this one this morning. It's just, you, it's a lot here. Um, Israel may be down, but what he's saying is they are, they are not out. They are not down for the count. They, they, they've rejected Jesus, and when that happened, they tripped up in a big way, but it's not game over. It's like God has a phoenix future planned for them. And before the story ends, Israel is going to rise from the ashes in a significant way. And, okay, so there's something about what we see here in this passage that it highlights that I think we have, to, we have to be okay with and come to terms with. It's that there is a special place in the heart of God for a particular people who are of the ethnicity of Israel. Sit on that one for a little bit. Uh, this is also a time that I, it might be the appropriate moment for me to insert a clarification. Um, and this would probably be the controversial part of the morning for many of you. Uh, the Israel that this passage refers to is a people, not a place, not a nation state. In other words, it's an ethnicity, not a, not a place that you can point to on the map. Now, here in the first century, many of those people did reside within this region we know as Palestine, but that region was under Roman authority at the time. And Jesus and the New Testament authors, they seem to show very little interest in a conquest for that land. And so the question, a key question is, what do we do about all of these Old Testament promises about this place that God promised to his people. What does the promised land look like on the other side of the cross? Okay, now I've ventured into very controversial territory here because many faithful, God-loving Christian believers come to different conclusions about that question. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share the conclusion I've come to, and I know up front that you may see it differently, uh, but guess what? That's okay. We, we can still be friends. Um, this is an issue we can discuss, we can debate about, we can even disagree about without actually having to divide about. You promise me you're going to do that? Okay. <laughs> Good. Um, so I personally understand um, that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament promises. The promised land that in my mind, that I am expecting, that I am waiting for when Jesus returns, well, it's a whole lot bigger than the borders of Palestine. I'm not holding out for the borders of Palestine. It seems to me to encapsulate the ends of the earth. All of it. The fullness of it. And, and you can call it a land grab if you want, but here's the thing. It was his at the start, and he's taken it all back before the story ends. That's... That's how the book of Revelation describes it. Um, now, this is not something like I'm adamant about. 
I'm open to other points of view. I actually had the opportunity to, uh, I had to go through this stuff in my doctrinal questionnaire before I was getting um, ordained, you know, and so I went away uh, for like two days up to a camp and just like really immerse myself in this eschatology stuff. Some of you, like, love that, and some of you are like, why the heck would you ever want to do that? Um, but, uh, but so personally, here's, here's what that means. Here's, here's the outworking of the way that I see things, is that uh, what's happening right now in the nation state of Israel is not of ultimate importance when it comes to the kingdom of God. Now, I understand, of course, why it is of urgent importance for democracy, right? To have friends in the Middle East as a U.S. Uh, nation. But from a kingdom of God point of view, it doesn't matter that much. That's how I see it. Now, there is an alternative theological system that is completely built around this region of Palestine. If any of you have ever read the Left Behind series of books... I know many of you have, you've been exposed to what's called dispensational theology. Uh, it's, a, it's a theology that came out in the early 1900s, and for many American believers, it's the only view they've ever encountered. They think it's the only view. Many assume it's the only viable interpretation. And uh, so I'm more than happy to sit down uh, talk with you more about it one-on-one. Just don't take out any of those charts and things like that. I'll... <laughs> That's where I just, I, I tap out. Um, but a lot of it really has to do with this issue. Um, Jesus in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark, he this Olivet Discourse. It's called the Olivet Discourse. And, and the question is whether he was referring to the end of the first century Jerusalem temple or if he's referring to the end of human history. Okay, that's, that's one of the major questions. And And so I see it primarily as referring to the end of the first century temple. I am open to changing my mind on that. I will as soon as a new temple gets built and set up in Jerusalem and they start sacrificing animals to it. You may be like, it's going to happen. I may be like, yeah, right. But that's okay. Um, All right. We're done with the controversial part. You're still here with me, so that's a good thing. However you see it, Here's the thing, the Israel Paul is talking about here in this passage, it's a people, okay? It's a rebellious people, and yet it's a people who remain near and dear to the heart of God. Even in a way that the Gentiles, that means most of us in this room this morning, aren't. And, and now you may not like that, that may not sound like it's fair to you, but, but here's the thing. You didn't write the story of salvation. I didn't write it either. God did, and he's, he's not waiting for us to approve of it. That's just the way it is. Uh, Paul says here that, that the access that God has granted to the Gentiles, once Israel rejected him, that even as he's receiving us, he's doing it, in hopes of provoking Israel to envy. Did you catch that? Like he wants them to look, to see, and to be jealous of the love that he's pouring out on us. See, God hasn't gotten over Israel. Even as he pours out his love on us, he has an eye on them. 
And so it's a very flawed illustration, but I'm going to share it anyway. Israel is sort of like the ex that God never got over. You know, it's like, you were made for me. You wandered, you walked away, you rejected me. Now, don't you miss me? Don't you want to come back? Now, that's as far as you can take that analogy, right? It's going to fall apart really fast, but do you get the point? The point is that Israel is special to God. And not only to God, they're special to the Gentiles, to most of us here as well, because what it goes on to say is that it's their rejection when they turned their back on Jesus, that's what opened the door for our acceptance. That's why we're able to access the riches of God's grace that previously had been theirs exclusively. And and verse 12 It assures us that the day is going to come when God's chosen people are going to come back around to him. It says, if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So what that's saying is that their their exclusion isn't eternal. There's going to come a day when the scales are going to fall off their eyes and they'll receive Jesus as the Messiah. The Messiah they rejected, they'll accept. And when that happens... It's going to be a moment unlike any other. It says in, in verse 15, it's going to be like life from the dead. See, the storyline of salvation, it resolves around God's chosen people coming back to him. It's a beautiful resolution. So God hasn't rejected Israel. He hasn't forgotten his chosen people. The story just isn't over yet. In fact, it's better to say that God's added a chapter so the Gentiles, so the rest of the world can get in on it from the outside to the inside so we could be included in the special connection that God has and has enjoyed with his chosen people. Here's what it says in, in verse 17. It says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the roots that support you. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Okay, so, so there's this illustration that he's putting front and center about this grafted branch into a cultivated olive tree that, to help us understand the chapter that we are currently now in. So this tree, it represents how God has been at work throughout time, through the centuries. This tree has deep roots, has a strong trunk, it's got fruitful branches, and it's a picture of God's saving work in the world. Through the ages, he has been at work in an exclusive way through his chosen people, right? Abraham, the patriarchs, the kings, the the prophets. He's been working exclusively through Israel. And at a certain point, some of those branches broke off. That's a reference to the unbelieving Israel when they rejected Jesus. But it says when that happened... God cut some other branches from another tree, a wild shoot, he calls it. And he grafted those wild branches onto his glorious tree. That means he brought us in. He included us so we could get in on this exclusive engagement 
that God has been doing throughout time with his chosen people. And that's an, it's an amazing thing. This is, this is a snapshot of what God's done with my life. This is my testimony. If you are not a Jewish person, this is your testimony as well. The only reason why a pale white Irish guy like me has any hope of laying hold of the riches of God's grace to get wrapped up into his salvation story is because God grafted me in, right? I'm not Jewish. I, I don't belong there. I'm the wild shoot. But because of Jesus' work, God has written me in. And because he has, I am included in the blessings of Israel. I am a member of God's chosen people. What? You're a part of God's chosen people? Yes. So much so, Peter actually ascribes to Gentile believers the very identity of Israel. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter 2.9. It's talking to Christians. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All of those titles, all of that identity, that was, that was the identity of Old Testament Israel. And here it is cut copied and pasted onto the church, all who believe in his name. Do you, do you hear what that's saying? People like you, like me, we can have that because God has grafted us in. It's an amazing gift. It is the ultimate privilege. So God hasn't rejected Israel. He's, he's added this chapter to write us into their story. And this passage, probably more than any other, Um, banishes any and every anti-Semitic excuse you could ever, or anti-Semitic excuse of any kind. There's no reason for it. There is simply zero justification for anything but gratitude and appreciation because we've been grafted into their tree, Israel's tree. We're written into their story. See, apart from them, there would be no us. Apart from Israel, there would be no Christian faith. The roots that we're drawing our strength from are are theirs. And so, one other question is, what about the branches that were broken off? What about unbelieving Israel, right? Is their story over? Are they thrown in the fire to be burnt? No, the passage makes another promise that at the end of the story, they're going to be grafted back in. And he even says it's less of a big deal to graft them in than it was to graft you Gentiles in because they're from the natural part of that. They belong to the cultivated tree. You're you're the wild shoot. Um, But what we have to look forward to is them being welcomed in again. Here's, Here's what it says. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. The partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sin. 
As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may also receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. All right, again, this is, you guys have your thinking caps on. This is good. This is dense stuff. But what it's getting at is that hardened hearts are going to soften. When? It says, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And that means that there is a predetermined limit of how many Gentiles are going to get grafted in. And once that limit has been hit, the scales are going to fall off of their eyes and God's chosen people who rejected their Messiah are going to turn to him and receive him. This day of salvation will come. All of Israel, it says, will be saved. And that doesn't mean that every single Israelite will. It means the whole love, the full measure will be. How is it going to happen? They're going to see and respond to Jesus for who he is. They're going to receive him, it says, as the promised deliverer who came from heaven to save them from their sin. In other words, it's the gospel, right? Just make no mistake. It's not like, are they going to find some kind of track to get right with God apart from the gospel? Is it a separate thing? It's the same good news. The one that makes us spiritually alive, makes them spiritually alive as well. There's, 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 there's not a reference here to a particular number, Many people think this is going to be like millions, and I hope it is. It seems like a large-scale number of Jewish conversions are going to happen. Um, that would be speculation. I, I hope it is. Uh, but, but what's not speculation is, as we read here at this passage, is the mercy of God that he pours out on our lives. Don't miss that. It's what takes center stage at the end of the story. He talks about the mercy of God, all the mercy rebellious Gentiles need to be reconciled to God, God pours out, right? Irish Gentiles, Arabian Gentiles, Palestine Gentiles, Indian Gentiles, you name it. He's got it. And he pours it out. And just like that, all the mercy that rebellious Israel needs to be reconciled back to God, he has it and he holds it out. So let there be no doubt, there is no shortage of mercy in the heart of God. Some of you may need to hear that this morning. Some of you may doubt it. Some of you may think that I used up all the mercy of God. There's none left. What do I do now? This story of salvation is the story of the astounding mercy of a holy and loving God. A mercy that takes us from being excluded to included, from the outside to the inside. A mercy so great that it saves both Jew and Gentile, brings us together and makes us and turns us into one people of God. So, so realize, there's, there's not like Jewish Christians and you know, Irish Christians and Texas Christians, you know, it's Gentile, Jewish Christians. There's, there's one, one work. And, and I guess if, if I'm like disturbed about anything about some of these talks that I've heard, it's, 
it's, it's this us and them kind of thing that I hear so much, right? You know, we got the good guys and we got the bad guys. We're the good guys, they're the bad guys. And I think if, if that's the script we're reading from, we're just reading from the wrong script, right? God's script is about a good God and bad people and the mercy he pours out on all of them, right? And because of God's great mercy, because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross, he is making us into something incredible. I just want to read Ephesians 2 where it says this, that you, talking to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, you were once separated from Christ, alienated from Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But then you got grafted. Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, and so making peace, and might reconcile us both to the God in one body through the cross. Through him, we both have access to the one spirit through the Father. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles, the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. There's the temple. All right, sorry. Um, the reality of that, uh, of this story of salvation and the author of it, it leads Paul to worship. Here's, here's what it sounded like for him when he just took this all in, this amazing story of salvation. He says this, Oh, the depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. See, the story's already been written. It's playing out right now. And there's a reason why we've been told how the story ends. And if you think it's so you can just stress out and have your blood pressure raised and, and run around your living room and worry, that's not it. It's to lead us to worship. Right? Not... Not to wreck our confidence when we see things going on in this broken world around us that are messed up, but to build our confidence. Because even as things are falling apart, God's story of salvation is playing out. And it is the solid ground that we have to stand on. It is forever firm. And that's why we can live with hope, with courage, with either anticipation, because history is leading to a particular end. It is not up for grabs because it is his story. Let's pray together. Lord.